You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Yeah, I want to just send our regards from our senior ministers uh, over in the U.S. at the moment. They send their love and their thoughts and their prayers. Uh, Pastor Keith and I have been emailing a fair bit, and they're doing really well. Uh, But as many of you would know who have experienced it, grief is a real, real process. Uh, It really hurts, um, and there's really not much you can do sometimes uh, except to acknowledge that, uh, yeah, it's difficult. And, And for But for many reasons, they're right in the middle of that right now. Uh, They're they're at the point of finishing packing up the house. They're putting it on the market. Those things are tangible uh, reminders of the reality of losing someone close to you. And it would be great if you could keep our senior ministers in your prayers at this time. Uh, They'd really appreciate that. But they wanted me to let you know that they love you dearly. They miss you guys. um, But they're doing all right. So... Let's jump in this morning. Who enjoyed having Pastor Dan Gorey here last week? He's a legend, man. He just knows so much of the Word. and was a, I just think he was able to unpack the beginning of James in such an incredible way. Really opened the door for us to journey through this book. Gave us a great context. And I want to jump off the back of uh, Pastor Dan's message last week. If you missed it, it's on the podcast. You can get online. You can listen to that. I would really encourage you to because he sets up Uh, what is going to be the next nine weeks for us as a church. We're taking 10 weeks out at the beginning of the year to go through nonstop a a whole book of the Bible. Uh, And as Pastor Dan was saying, sometimes uh, we can can get a little bit kind of cherry picking when it comes to scriptures and we can be like, oh, I love that one that says uh, God can do all things. I can do all things through Christ. I don't even know that that scripture. I got it wrong. There you go. you know, those ones that we love, that we get tattooed on ourselves, we, we, we love to preach those because they, they sound great. But the reality of allowing the Word of God to be what it is, a double-edged sword separating bone and marrow, soul and spirit within us, allowing it to refine us and shape us is sometimes a whole lot more important. And when we take the time to go through a book, we don't get to avoid the bits that challenge us. Uh, where the authors get really practical and it's like, oh, wow, that spoke right into my Monday morning and I don't know what I'm going to do about that because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, oh, gee, just a little uncomfortable. Uh, but as a community, we're going to do that together and so we can be a little bit uncomfortable together. Is that all right? Fantastic. Let's jump in where we left off last week. So Pastor Dan finished up at James chapter uh, 1 verse 18. So we're going to jump right into James chapter 1 verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. If you are someone who underlines your Bible, now would be a great time to get a highlighter or a pen out because the author of this letter has just said, take note of what I'm going to say next. So if there is something worth underlying, it is probably where an author of Scripture says, this is worth underlining. This is worth taking note of. And he says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that there are times where it does challenge us, but ultimately, God, it gives us life. Father, it gives us hope. It speaks to us of who you are. And so, God, this morning, as we go through this passage, I pray that you would be speaking. God, I have an expectation that you are moving in this place, speaking to people, encouraging people. And so, Lord, right now, we want to lift up Pastor Keith and Jana. We pray for them. We pray that you would give them courage and strength and comfort uh, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen. We also really pray for the Jets. Um, we pray that the game uh, goes ahead and we obliterate Central Coast. Come on. They need it. They need a lift, guys. They need, we need to go to prayer and fasting for the Jets. They're on the bottom of the table. The wooden spoon is looking like it is on its way. We do not need that in our trophy cabinet anymore. Um, so, yeah, if you feel so led by the Spirit, you do that. You know, so it's very interesting being a dad. Uh, I, I'm, I have the privilege of being a dad of three children. And um, most days, most days I am thankful for them. Um, then there are those days where I am, I am not thankful for them. Uh, I wake up and I'm like, gee, I wish I could go back to that time where I had no children and no commitments. That was such a great time in life. Does anyone remember that time? Yeah, a couple of people. Come on, fantastic. Um, children bring out the best and the worst in you as a parent, don't they? Right? And um, I've noticed recently that one of the things that occasionally brings out the worst in me as a parent is when I see what I don't like about myself in my son. Anyone relate to that? Like, you know, they have half of your DNA, uh, but, uh, but some of your children got like 99% of your DNA, and, and there are just things that they do that frustrate you about yourself, and when they do them, something that you thought didn't exist in you suddenly comes alive, and it, it, it's like just this eruption comes out of you, and it, it comes from a great place, because you're like, I don't want you to be me. In that area of your life, I don't want you to be me, and, and I, I often overreact in that space. But one of those particular spaces at the moment is when, when I'm trying to, uh, you know, discipline my child and create healthy boundaries in his world, he, he, res he responds with, but dad, but, but dad, but dad. I'm like, no, but dad, Addison, but dad, but but." Uh, uh, there are no but dad, Addison. This is the end of our conversation. You are not going to have the last word. 
But, but he's like, oh, but, but. I'm like, no buts. No more buts, Addison. <clears throat> Just recovering my composure. <laughs> I, get, I get so frustrated because he, he has to say his side of the argument. He has, to, he has to be able to say his perspective. He has to feel like he has got an opportunity for the injustice that he feels like he is receiving. He has to be able to speak into it, and he has to be, he has to be able to say the right word. Now, I get very frustrated because I see, I, that is so me, right? That is so me. Just speak to my wife, and, and she will collaborate with that, that for a long time in our marriage, I had to have the, the last word, partly because I have to be right. Um, I know what's right, and I struggle at the end of a conversation if we have to end it without me being able to prove that actually what I know actually is right because I know, because I've read that thing or I've seen it. So you, you, know, you can imagine how some of our conversations went early in our marriage. Um, I'm, I'm learning that there is value in losing an argument or a discussion, heated discussion, losing one of those for the benefit of relationship. And if you are newly married or dating, uh, or maybe you've been married for a long time and this is the space in your marriage that you are just realizing, well, if I just didn't have to be right all the time, maybe uh, things would improve. Um, you, you really don't need to be right. I have learned. It, it's really not always worth it. But I'm a work in progress. And so I am learning what James talks about here, where he says, listen, you should be quick to listen. Now, that's not me. I am quick to talk. I am quick to respond. I am not quick to listen. And James says, listen, it's really important. First of all, let take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on my gender for a moment, if that's all right. Men, we can be robust enough in here to, to have a little bit of a spotlight on us. But men, we develop this incredible skill. We think it's an incredible skill. Our wives may not agree with that. Um, but we have this ability to listen without listening. I don't know if you've been aware of this yet in yourself. For instance, my wife can be having an entire conversation with me. I will be watching sport, okay? It's, it's my addiction, and I know that. I'm working on that. But she can have this conversation with me, and I am listening but not listening. And she'll be like, are you listening? And I have developed this incredible skill you may also have. I can recite back to her word for word what she just said, right? I can do that. But if, to be honest, it hasn't processed. It's, it's, it's a reflex response. It's like it's bounced off a trampoline in my mind and it can come straight back out, but I haven't heard it, thought about it, considered it. And so my response is not actually really beneficial to the conversation. I'm just proving once again that I'm right and I was listening, even though you think I wasn't. And I feel like it's not beneficial for relationships to think that that is actually listening. You see, to be a good listener means that we're not rushing in. It means that actually our goal in the conversation is, is to engage with the person. Our goal is to hear them even more than hear their words. 
And you see, what I'm doing is I'm just hearing their words. I can just say back the the words they spoke. I may not have considered the heart behind it, the tone. What was was maybe Rach really trying to communicate to me when she's talking about our children and I'm just concerned with whether Manchester United are going to score before halftime? We should work at allowing our default to be to understand first, to be to understand first. This is beautiful. I think it's something that we've lost in society, the art of conversation, the art of conversation. So much of our dialogue is done now on a forum where we, we, we read and respond. Reading and responding is very different to listening within a conversational context. You see, you can read and, and, and interpret often completely different than what the person was intending. But when we are face-to-face with someone and we engage in listening, what we get is the person as well as what they say, rather than just what they say. We have opportunity to put ourselves in their shoes. Where are they coming from? What, maybe what circumstances have occurred in their life that, that maybe haven't occurred in our life that are causing them to present certain things the way they are? What can I learn from them as a person in this conversation? And this is what James is talking about. He's saying, be quick to listen, uh, actually talking about the the control of desires that are leading to conflicts. He talks about this in chapter 1. He goes on and talks about it again in chapter 4 where he's saying, listen, when we don't don't learn to control our desires, what actually happens is that we end up doing things that lead to conflicts, disputes. And later on in his letter, he says, "Even, even murder, even murder occurs out of uncontrolled desires. And if we want to have an example of this, we look at Jesus, right? The ultimate example of the listener, the ultimate example, right? He was there for the person. In every conversation, he was fully present and fully there for the person. And I think often we can, we can learn a lot about how he, the, the person that knew all, actually interacted with people. Uh, he never interacted to, to prove that he was right, you know? And and I think we can learn a lot about listening from the way Jesus uh, actually uh, approached approached conversations. And then James goes on to say, be slow to speak. Again, this is something that I'm not great at. Um, often, Often I have formulated a response before someone has even finished speaking. Uh, right? I am listening for the purpose of speaking, uh, not listening for the purpose of knowing someone. Right? I just, I just want to say my bit. I want to respond. I'm right, or I know the best opinion, or I have the best idea, or, I, or, or maybe I have had the greatest experience. Right? Has anyone been in a conversation with one of those um, one-uppers? Has anyone had one of those? Yeah, I'm a notorious one-upper. Um, I'm working on that, but the reality is that, that there are insecurities in my world when I was younger that caused me to develop this need to be valued and desired based on having had the best experience out of the, the particular group, right? Like if we can be the best in that group, somehow it satisfies that inner need for value. Um, and, and I'm happy to put myself on display this morning, but if that sits with you too, there you go, that's for free. These days we live in, in a world where we have so many platforms for immediate response. We have so many platforms for immediate response, right? Like whether it's, it's, it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, we live in a world where uh, to, to have a considered response is rare. To have a, have a space where actually we, we pause 
think, consider, formulate a response is something that we are being told is not valued anymore. And actually, what we're after is, is quick, immediate response. And what's happening is we're, we're operating out of reaction rather than operating out of consideration. And it's interesting that James, so long ago, is like, listen, there are some critical values here that, that are really important. Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Again, what we see here is Jesus is the ultimate example. In fact, even as he's being led before those who would you know, make a judgment call on whether he went to the cross or not, it says he was like a lamb slid to the slaughter. He didn't, he didn't say anything, asked and, and, and questioned about what was going on. You know, there's, there's no response. He did not see the value in the reactive response that perhaps we do in today's day and age. And so James is, is great. I think, I think in this passage, he just drills straight down into so much relational wisdom. Imagine the relationships that you have in your world. Imagine what it would be like if, if everybody in that relational space was like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take more time to listen and I'm going to talk less. What those relationships would become. How much more of each other you would hear. How much, how much opportunity you would have to just enjoy the interaction rather than wanting to get your opinion out all the time. I know it would be incredibly beneficial for me. It began to get me thinking how often I respond as a reflex and how much more venomous my reflex responses can be. For instance, I don't know about you, but I know the greater I feel like I've had some perceived injustice, the more the more anger is behind my response, right? Like in today's day and age, we would, we would call it being triggered. And, 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 and certain things can happen and it's like from nowhere and suddenly I can go from like base level emotion to like I am, I am raging over something that, that honestly is little but it's such a perceived injustice to me that my response is, is one of, of like anger. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Hopefully some of you can relate. I'm not just up here by myself in this but but we see it all of the time, right? And our response these days is not necessarily to go and have a cordial conversation. No, we jump on the nearest platform we can to vent our perceived injustice. And so we will, we'll jump and we'll start blogging about this thing that got me all worked up or we'll, we'll tweet about it or we'll post an Instagram or we'll get on Facebook and we'll start a comment war which absolutely just calms the storm around the whole scenario. Um, it, it doesn't add fuel to anybody's fire. Facebook discussions are just the greatest place to talk things out. And, and, and obviously there's some sarcasm there, but, but what we do is, is we get faced with these perceived injustices and, and, and we respond reactively and we do it in places that are not beneficial. And what do we find? That, that so many years ago, James writes, hey, listen, be slow to speak, quick to listen, and 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 be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. If we consider the context for a second in which James speaks all of this, we have to remind ourselves that 
as Dan was teaching last week, James, this book is, this, this, this is a letter, right? And it's written uh, uh, by the, 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 I guess you could say, the half-brother of Jesus, who's somewhere between mocking him for claiming to be God, which is absolutely how I would respond if my brother was like, hey guys, I'm God. Uh, I can imagine my response to that. But somewhere between his mocking of Jesus for claiming to be God and, and where he writes this book, he has clearly had a moment where he's like, wow, wow, Some, something has completely changed my perspective here. And, and, and so he writes this letter to what is the first community of believers. Pastor Dan was saying last week that this is the first piece of writing that they would have received as a part of what we now know is the New Testament. You have to remember this community that was being built, these, these people that, that what, was, what was drawing them together as a community was they all believed that Jesus was who he said he was and that he had been raised from the dead and that he was the Son of God. They had this central belief that they had not heard about. Mainly it was that they had actually experienced it themselves or been, been with someone who had experienced it themselves. We are talking about the very first people who had been a part of the, the actual tangible life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, or they had directly heard about it from a person who was there. And we have this community beginning to form. And James writes into that community. From a societal context, you know, they're living under this religiously oppressive, uh, law-driven rulership of, of the church. But not only that, they're living under the Roman rule. Where, where the poor are, are, are unbelievably oppressed by the unjust, rich community. And... and so I find it amazing that what James draws out here is, listen, I know that injustice makes you angry. I know that when you are confronted with the very real injustice that is around you, I know that makes you angry, but you need to know something. Responding out of that anger is not beneficial. Going and, and, and running your mouth on Facebook or Twitter or, or, or you know, carving stone tablets again like, like back in the day, that, that is not actually going to help the situation. Not only is it not going to help the situation, but James goes on to tell us that that's actually not going to produce what God wants this community to produce. You know, you see, the essence of this community was its relationship with each other. And so it's no surprise that James speaks right into, hey, what are some keys to building and fostering and, and maintaining relationships that are going to actually show what we believe about Jesus? Because the very essence of this community is built on their belief of who Jesus was and the fact that Jesus came and said, listen, I'm establishing the kingdom of God and, 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 and you are going to show people that this kingdom is real. You're going to show people. You know, James is often referred to as the New Testament book of Proverbs because he has this kind of staccato 
uh, statements, this wisdom that is very similar to the way Proverbs is set up. But what I love is that James doesn't necessarily do it from a, a macro context like perhaps we can look at from Proverbs. James is speaking right into a very real situation. He is speaking into a community that is supposed to be expressing what they believe about Jesus in how they speak and how they act. And they are faced daily with very real injustice, very real things that are stirring them up and making them angry. And James is saying, listen, you need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Because if you aren't, you, you need to be aware of something here. If you, if you are not that, if you respond out of your anger, that's not going to show people the righteousness of God. It's not going to show people the righteousness of God. Scholars would say that James' use of righteousness in, let me see where it is here in verse, uh, where is it, come on. It's so good that everyone's following along, you know exactly where I'm at. Thank you, verse 20. That, the word righteousness there, scholars would say that later, that word, and in, in conjunction with his use of the idea of pure religion in verse 27, is indicative of, of the kingdom of God. So it's not just righteousness, but righteousness is central to the kingdom of God itself. And so James is talking about the whole expression of the kingdom of God, that as this community grows in, in, in act and in word, that they're actually expressing the kingdom of God. It's funny. I think about the community back then and the injustices they face, and then I think about us as a community and what we perceive as injustice, right? I, I, I don't know about you, but for me, um, injustice that gets me riled up is, is, I think, sometimes so much more petty than perhaps what, what they faced. Like, I can, I can get to the point where I'm, I'm verbally berating someone. They don't hear it, obviously, because um, I'm normally in my car, and they've normally pulled out in front of me uh, and stopped me from driving the way that I would like to drive. And, and in that moment, this in sense of such injustice comes over me that I am, I am like, oh, my, all, of these, all of these lovely descriptions of people come out of my mouth. But it's, I've often sat back and thought, what if, what if that person was in front of me? Would I, would I actually say those things? Would I actually say those things? And, and, and if I did, would that actually improve the situation? Is, like, is my desire to tell them how much they did me some kind of perceived wrong in, in their one driving mistake, is that going to improve the situation or is that going to take the situation down a road that's going to end up on Channel 9 where there's some crazy road rage incident? You know, we, we need to be slow to speak and slow to get angry because that response, even in a, a small, somewhat hilarious situation where your pastor can't handle people pulling out in front of him, that situation would even demonstrate that, that speaking out of anger solves nothing. Speaking out of anger doesn't somehow improve that injustice. But more than that, it also doesn't demonstrate the righteousness of Christ, which, which James goes on to say is actually what has been planted within me. Let's, let's move on a bit here. It says, continuing to read, 
Be slow, slow to speak, slow to become angry, quick to listen. He goes on to talk about the word that is planted within you. You've got to understand that this community doesn't have the Bible that we have yet. They are, they are the new community. They've got the Old Testament, yes, the Torah, the law, the prophets. They've got that. But in terms of the New Testament, they, they don't have that. So when James is writing to them and saying, hey, there is a word that is implanted within you, what he is referencing is the truth that they have received about Jesus. He is talking about the, what they have come to believe about who Jesus is and therefore who they are. They have been told by word of mouth that when they accept and believe Jesus, that they are born again. That they receive His Holy Spirit. That, that the Spirit of the Word Himself will come and live inside of them and within them. The implanted Word is not memorized Scripture. Okay, can I tell you that knowing the whole of the Bible front to back, knowing the, the Bible song of the 66 books, that is not necessarily what James is talking about here. He's not telling the new community that, listen, you need to memorize more of the Bible. He is saying, no, there is a truth, there is a reality that is implanted within you about Jesus, and it's the understanding of that reality and what it means to you that should dictate how you respond as a community. You see, they, were believe, they believed and were made righteous. They believed and were made righteous. Their righteousness was based on the word that they believed that was implanted within them through the Holy Spirit. James writes here, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You know, we can read a lot of the Bible without accepting what it says about us. We can know a lot of the Bible without realizing what it's actually saying about us. You see, the deception is to believe that we are what we are not. That somehow we can be righteous, somehow we can be perfect, uh, that, that we can be these just people expressing the kingdom of God on our own. Or to not believe that we are that which we are. You know, the Bible very clearly says that we are a new creation. To not believe that about yourself is just as much a deception that we are living in than it is to believe that we can be perfectly righteous and just without Christ. You see, it's important here that we understand that, that the enemy would like to deceive you into believing that you are not what the Bible says you are. You see, often we read Scripture and we're like, well, I don't like that it says this, I don't like that it says that. Yeah, but what it does say is that actually you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. What it does say is that you have been born again. What it does say is that you are a child of the Most High God. There, is these, there are these things that it does say that if they are not implanted within us, we become deceived as to who we really are. This is not a Scripture that is telling people to look back at the Old Testament and somehow live it out all over again. That's completely inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus. And the truth that he actually fulfilled all the law and the prophets. His whole teaching was that we can't do it. His whole teaching was that the law was presented with such an impossibility that it was supposed to point us towards needing some other way. The entire teaching that Jesus presented, which some of these people heard, 
or, or, or were told directly from somebody who heard it. The whole teaching was, hey, you, you can't be righteous by trying. You can't be righteous by striving. You need a new way. We can't do it on our own. We, we, we are not enough. We cannot reach the standard. There is a better way. This is the, the entire unpacking that Jesus did while he walked on planet earth so that he could position and point himself that he is the way. He is the new way. That we achieve the righteousness that God longs to be presented through the community of people that are his on this earth. Right from the garden, he has had a people that would demonstrate his kingdom. And we have come full circle now to where when we believe who Jesus was and what he did and therefore who we are based on what he said about us. We are that community that is to express the righteousness of Christ. That is the kingdom of God. Not because we can on our own, but because we are a new creation because of Christ. Where are we? The better way is Jesus. And this whole section of Scripture is really asking us to have an authenticity rather than a, a hypocrisy. You see, the only way to be the community that expresses the righteousness, the justice, and, and what, what James would use, the pure expression, pure religion, the pure expression of the kingdom of God is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews tells us to, to keep our eyes on Jesus. How do, we, how do we throw off all of the things that would try to tell us with things that, 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 that are real? How, how do we throw those off? We fix our eyes on Jesus. To continue to stare into the mirror of the Word. To continually bring to awareness Him and therefore who we really are. Which actually results in us living differently and acting differently. You see, there is, a, there is a, a deception that if we just read the Bible, that's enough. Can I tell you that if you read the Bible without Jesus, it's like staring into a mirror and then walking away and forgetting what it says about you. Because without Jesus, we lose the truth of the word, that we are a new creation. We lose everything that it begins to tell us about ourselves. The reflection is in seeing Jesus. The reflection that we are trying to then reflect back is Jesus. It's not just the words that are on a page. It's not just a, a memory verse that we're trying to remember. No, it's finding the person of Jesus and then, and then staring at Him in the Word as, as we live and therefore reflecting that which we are looking at. That's the whole premise of a mirror. It's, it's, it's looking not at words. It's looking at Jesus, the person who was the way in the Word. It's looking at Him so that we then might reflect Him. So that we then, in how we speak and how we act, we end up living, looking, loving, just like Jesus. It's so interesting that 
that the Pharisees, you know, they used to go around running their mouth, placing judgment on everyone. They knew the entire Old Testament, memorized the first five books. This word is a living word when we let it be a living word. This word brings life to our soul. This word defines who we are. This word speaks to our very identity if we first find Christ in the word. You see, this whole community that James is writing to is a community built on who Jesus was. It's just like us. This as a community is built on who we believe that Jesus is. And you know, so often we slip into, I think, trying and striving to, to express the kingdom of God the way we think it should be. When I think a greater purpose would be to spend our time striving to keep our eyes on Jesus. Striving to find Jesus, to be with Jesus, to, to know Jesus. And as we look into the mirror of, of Him, as we hold Him in front of us and look, look at Him, and, 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 and as we do that, we begin to reflect that which we're looking at. We don't just, just walk away and forget who we are because who we are is defined now by Jesus. James finishes this section of his letter by, by really comparing what is authentic and what is not. And he uses this phrase, pure religion. A pure religion, which would indicate that there is a type of religion or religious activity or religious behavior that, that is actually inauthentic. It's, it's not pure. It's not, it's not, it doesn't produce that which God desires to be produced. And James isn't having a go at different religions of the world. You know, let's not take the scripture out of context and start using it to, to have a go at different people. That's, again, that's not in line with what we saw Jesus do. What he did do was attack hypocrisy. What he did do was call out those who thought they had everything together. What he did was, was go against the religious elite of, of his day because they thought that they could do it on their own. They thought that somehow they were good enough, right enough, perfect enough, just enough, had this sense of self-righteousness about what they did. And Jesus said, hey guys, I see right through that. That is actually not expressing the true kingdom of God. You want to know the way that the, the true kingdom of God is seen? James says that it's, it's looking after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The kingdom of God is seen and expressed by what we say, how we say it to each other and those outside of this community. The kingdom of God is seen in how we act to each other and to those outside of this community. Yeah, Christ can be believed as being real when the actions and words of those who say they believe in Him 
represent the transformation that we claim occurs when we believe in Him. See, transformation is a byproduct. This transformation, it's, it's a byproduct, not of glancing at some religious guidelines and trying to live a self-righteous life. Bringing the justice of God into where we feel injustice has been done. No, it's by fixing our eyes on Christ and in recognizing that apart from Him and me continually seeing me in Him and Him in me, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's only when I allow the image of myself and the image of Christ to become indistinguishable in distinction. And so expressing the fullness of truth of my new creation that I begin to represent the Father the way He wants. He wants a community that in speech and action, they show that Christ is real. They show that Christ can really transform. They show that Christ can really create us anew. And because we can't do it, sorry, not because we can't do it, but because we fix our eyes on Christ. We fix our eyes on what is true about Him. And therefore, what is true about us. Christ who knew no sin became sin so that I, we, might become His righteousness. I can't look at that once and then walk away and expect to suddenly present that in what I say and, and what I do. I have to allow myself to be changed into the reflection that I am constantly looking at. I ask myself, when I act, do people see Jesus? When I speak, do people see Jesus? Maybe a better question is, when I speak, do I hear Jesus in me? Coming out of me. Am I beginning to sound like Him? Am I beginning to take on the, the tone, the mercy, the love that Christ Himself expressed? Am I, am I beginning to sound like that? Am I beginning to act like that? Do I, do I, am I beginning to see Jesus in me? Am I beginning to act like Him? When I find someone caught in, in sin, do I, found, do, I, do I hear myself sounding like Jesus with the woman caught in adultery? Hey, neither do I condemn you. Hey, come here, let me help you up off the ground. Do I see my response like Jesus to Zacchaeus? Can I tell you that that response doesn't come because I try harder? That response doesn't become because I strive and grip my teeth and try to be better, try to do more, try to, try to be more like Jesus? Just because I should? You know, I can, I can respond like that for maybe a month. Because I should? No, I should respond like that. That, that attitude, that, that lasts me about a month, max, sometimes about a week. But you know, as I gaze into the perfect law of liberty, as I gaze into the Word, as I, as, I, as I gaze into not just words on a page, but as I gaze into the truth of Jesus, something happens as a byproduct. Something occurs sometimes without me even knowing it. I slowly begin to change. 
It was, relig- it was the religious leaders of the time that, that used to run around, running their mouths, pronouncing judgment. Think of Saul. He was the very reason that the church was scattered. The very context in which James is writing this letter to the scattered believers. Those who consider themselves religious, consider themselves righteous, better, perfect, able. I ask myself, Nate, how do you consider yourself? Do I consider myself self-righteous? That I got it all together, that all my ducks are in a row, that somehow I have the right to pronounce judgment, to to somehow speak into these injustices and and, and that that that's going to produce a result? Paul says that he has concluded that he will teach Christ nothing more, nothing less. He's decided that everything else is garbage in comparison to knowing Christ. You know, I read this passage and we can pull out some great micro-wisdom. Hey, let's, let's be quicker to listen, guys. Let's be slow to speak. Let's not... Yes... Let's not respond angrily, reactively. Let's, let's bring that before Christ. But I cry, Jesus, help us with this. Do you want to know what I see overall of this passage that James is, is saying? He's like, he's like, hey, let's, let's be a community that represents Jesus. Let's be a community that, that, that expresses the kingdom of God. Let's be a community that, that in what we act and, and what we say and, and, and how people interact with us. And, and, and let's be a community that, that is walking on the planet now. These, this community is not anymore, but we are and we are built on the same thing. The truth that Jesus is who He said He is. That He is the Son of the living God. That He came to earth, that He died and that on the third day He rose again. We're a community that is built on that truth. And when we believe that truth, it says that we are born again. That we are new creations in Christ. And when we believe that about ourselves and gaze into that, continually looking at Jesus and what He's done for us, I tell you, it begins to change us, begins to shape us. We begin to say things, it's like, whoa, where did that come, where did that come from? We begin to not react suddenly. It's like, whoa. Wow. Let's be that community. Let's be a community that just looks at Jesus, asks Him to help us represent Him. That's what I feel like James is saying in this whole section to the, the community that he's writing into. It's like, hey, Let's not present some empty religious behavior. Let's go for something that's real. Let's be a community that expresses authenticity. Shows Christ. At the end of the day, I believe that's all we have. I believe that's all we have. But I also believe it's all the world needs. It just needs Jesus. I'd love it if you close your eyes. I want to pray for us as a community this morning. You know, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that that Jesus came to earth, that that He walked, He lived, He breathed, He 
went to the cross, died, and then he rose again. God, I'm so thankful that he, he became sin so that we might become your righteousness, so that we might become the very thing that your kingdom expresses. Father, I just pray right now for every person in this place that their eyes would be drawn back to you, that their eyes would be drawn back to Jesus, that we would go forth from this day determining to fix our eyes on you, to see you, to to stare into the mirror that is you, that we might over time begin to reflect that which we are looking at, that we would be a community that would reflect the reality of Jesus in how we speak, in how we act, in how we present your kingdom to those around us. I pray for every person in this place right now they would just be overwhelmed with a fresh sense of your presence in their world, Jesus, of your reality in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just believe so much that Jesus is at work in this community. I believe he's got incredible things this community ahead of us but I also know we, we can't do it on our own we so need Him we need to fix our eyes on Him but I have such a confidence that when we do that we just will turn around one day and be like oh my goodness God look what you've done look what you've done it's awesome well guys I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close our service there Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks for being together. Thanks for coming out when it's raining. Go home now and put your Snuggie on and throw on a good movie. Why don't you take someone out to lunch, invite them over to your place. Let's be committed to being that community. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.